So you live half the time right here in Israel and half the time in Florida. So I don't know that there's ever been a guest that I'm supposed to sit down with in Jerusalem in this exact spot more, more than you, but I want to actually start yeah. somewhere else for just a minute or so because you also grew up in Long Island, like f basically 10 minutes from where I grew up from. That's right. And I thought for, for people that don't know your bio, could you give just sort of a one minute bio that'll then get us to, to everything else that you've done? Sure. Son of a rabbi. Um, thought about becoming a rabbi. My father had a thousand member congregation. He was a great rabbi. Uh, when I told him I was thinking of becoming a rabbi, uh, he cried. Uh, he begged me not to do it. <laughs> I was going to say, he, tears he, of joy? Or, no, yeah. no, no, not tears of joy. It's like, why would you want to do that? It's a tough gig. Be a doctor or a lawyer, make some money, and, and don't have a thousand uh, bosses telling you what to do. Uh, even though he loved his job, uh, sent me off to uh, Columbia University, became a lawyer, lived basically uh, in the area where I grew up for most of my life until I became the U.S. ambassador to Israel and, and moved here in, uh, in uh, 2017. Okay, so you probably are the most influential U.S. ambassador to Israel, probably in its existence. I mean, I know. Do you New York, want to pat York, yourself on the back? Is that fair well, to say? I mean, this way, the New York it, Times said that, and they're no and fans. <laughs> so, uh, we'll, we'll, oh, so they might have been sticking you when, when well, they said well, that. They, they said that, so we'll, we'll we'll refer to them for that. Yeah. So, so let's start just with exactly where we are at the moment, and and the incredible history and geography of of where we're at before we get into some of the politics of the region that you've really helped shape, which has clearly led to a, an incredibly flourishing Israel. In mm -hmm. my five days here, I can't, I can't believe what's going on yeah. here. Yeah. Well, look, we're, we're about a 10-minute walk from my home, and we are uh, right here with that gold dome is, is, the, um, is the holiest place uh, for the Jewish people. It's, it's, it's now called the Dome of the Rock. Uh, it was built uh, maybe 1,500 years ago. But 3,000 years ago is where the Jewish temple stood. Uh, and that temple stood uh, in two different forms, but it stood for 1,000 years. And it was destroyed the second time in the year 70. And ever since then, until 1967, the Jewish people have been praying in, in, in every country, whether it's uh, you know North Africa, Eastern Europe, the United States, for 2,000 years, Jews have prayed to return to this land, to return exactly to that spot. Uh, and in 1967, right after the Six-Day War, where Jerusalem was reunified, it came to be. So, you know, uh, even though this, this dome and this mosque look very old, and they are, relatively speaking, they're, they're pretty recent when you think of, uh, of Jewish history that goes back 3,500 years. Right, so it's hard for people to imagine, but because everyone thinks that the Western Wall is actually the holiest site in Judaism, but it's the Temple Mount that the mosque, which is right there, and then the Dome of the Rock are built on here. And the, and the Western Wall is actually just a retaining wall. It's a retaining wall. It, it's a lot bigger than that. It goes much further. If you go under, underground, you can see it goes further. But it's a retaining wall. The, the holiest site in Judaism is the Temple Mount. Um, it is under that. It's called the Dome of the Rock because, because the, rock, the Rock. The Rock <laughs> is the rock on which uh, Abraham was called to sacrifice his son Isaac. And he passed the test that was given to him by God. And God promised he'd become the father of many nations. It all began there under that rock. And, uh, and then, of course, that's where Solomon built the first temple. Um, it's enormously important to Jews, and the, and, and, and the proof of it is that, uh, you know, for, for thousands of years when we didn't have it, we prayed for it. Uh, look, the other thing is, if you, you know, you see the mosque uh, to, the, to the right, the, the, the Aqsa Mosque is the, is the right, silver mosque, right? right? So um, if you go into the mosque and pray, and you or I couldn't do that, but if you went into the mosque and prayed, you would, you would bow down and you would face south, you would face Mecca. Your back would be to the temple 
Okay, so the the, the temple uh, is, is not a, even the holiness of Jerusalem is very secondary to the Muslim world relative to the holiness of Mecca. You know, uh, uh, Jerusalem is not mentioned in the Quran. It's mentioned 699 times in the Old Testament. And, and all that being said, all the religions are being respected. You can see Muslim worshippers, right? Yeah. Literally right there. I don't know if they can quite be seen by our camera. It's, and then plenty of, obviously, of Jewish worshippers so and more Christian worshippers. It's, it's actually more than, than being respected. Yeah. Because, you know, you see here straight ahead is the Western Wall. Up on top is the mosque. And to the left is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is one of the holiest sites in Christianity. Now, if you're a Jew, if you're a Muslim, if you're a Christian, if you're an atheist, you can go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, you can go to the Western Wall. If you want to go up on the Temple Mount, all right, and you're not a Muslim, you have one access point, which is this rickety gate here called the Maghrabi Gate, where you go through security. There's 10 other access for believers, mm -hmm. you know, what they refer to as believers here, which are just Muslims. And, uh, and if you happen to be a Jew or a Christian, you go up through this gate onto the Temple Mount and you begin to pray you're escorted off the mosque. Off the the, off the, the UN will uh, write up a couple right. uh, recommendations. So it's not equal access. It's actually better access. The, mm -hmm. the, is, the state of Israel affords better access to Muslims, uh, far better access to Muslims than it does to Christians and Jews. And it's, and it's odd because, you know, it's referred to generally as the status quo. But if you look at the treaty between Jordan and Israel, the treaty says that both nations, regardless of sovereignty, will afford complete and equal and unfettered access to every Abrahamic faith as to every holy site. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's not done but, here. It's, it's not observed. Right. So it's sort of ironic, and then we'll move on to some other stuff, that, that Israel is actually affording more courtesies than, than was happening before, you know, yeah. Israeli and, and, control. But and and Al-Aqsa has been the theme since, since 1929, when there was a massacre in Hebron where hundreds of Jews were killed. The, the, the false claim that the Jews are storming the mosque, taking over the mosque, it's always been kind of the rallying point whenever uh, Arab terrorists have sought to, uh, to, to, to create violence against the Jewish people. All right, so let's, uh, we, I know we could do the history uh, clearly all day long for many days, so let's, let's get to the broader Middle East though, because sure. you were integral in what has happened here over these last now, yep. you know, seven years or so. So talk to me about when, when you became ambassador, I mean, were you, was that the immediate plan? Like, we're gonna do this stuff? Did it sort of fall in your lap? And did you ever think it was even possible? So I was, I was the first ambassador appointed in the Trump administration, even before he took office, and we put out a press release, and I was quoted with the permission of the president, was saying that I look forward to serving my country from an embassy in its eternal undivided capital, Jerusalem, in Israel's undivided capital. So this was number one on my agenda. Right, so that was before the deals even. Yeah. That was before yeah. we even took office. Yeah. Uh, we worked on it uh, really hard. Um, we, uh, in, in, in less than a year, the president recognized Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, and then uh, May 14th uh, of uh, 2018, exactly five years ago this coming May 14th, which is also Israel's uh, Day of Independence, we opened up our embassy. And, you know, the entire world predicted that this would create endless wars and untold uh, violence, and, and it really didn't. Not at all. No, there was basically nothing. Bas basically nothing. And you know why? Because everybody who's looked at this knows that Jerusalem is the internal undivided capital of the Jewish people. I mean, you have to know it. If you, you read the Bible, right? Bible sells more books on Amazon than any other book. Anybody who reads the Bible knows that Jerusalem belongs to the Jewish people, including most of the Christian world. So, and most of the Muslim world. And most of the Muslims actually consider, you know, Mecca to be holy, uh, far less Jerusalem. So, 
not surprisingly, that's the least. So did that embolden you guys? Once once that was done and settled and, it, and yeah. it didn't inflame the world, did then you go, okay, now we can really do something? It gave us a real tailwind uh, in, in two respects. Number one, uh, gave us the ability to make more uh, positive moves that have been neglected for years with regard to Israel. So recognize that Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights, which was never going to leave Israel, was never going to be given back to a butcher like Bashar Assad. And then we started focusing more on the Palestinians and how to, you know, maybe choreograph some sort of a peace plan. But what we found was, and I think this is the key point, people said you're going to make, you're going to create violence by supporting Israel and supporting Jerusalem. Just to the contrary. I mean, we actually created an environment of, that was conducive to peace. Why? Because the Arab nations that we made peace with, right, they looked at our relationship with Israel and said, you know, we want to get in on that. You know, we want to be an ally of the United States the same way that Israel is an ally. How do we get there? How do we get closer to each other? And, you know, in, in many cases we said, well, the road to that kind of relationship has to run through Israel. You have to normalize with Israel. You can't, you know, be closer to America when you're, you know, shouting death to Israel. You're, you're fighting our, our most important ally, maybe in the world, but certainly in the Middle East. And so our, uh, our closeness to Israel was actually uh, an asset in our relationship with the Arab world. And, and it drew us closer to them. And ultimately, um, uh, you know, we, we, would, we would sit with these, with these countries, started off with the UAE, and, um, and, and we said, look, you know, and, and by the way, uh, you know, Trump said this uh, on his very first trip. He went to Saudi Arabia. He sat with 52 Muslim nations. And he said something he doesn't get credit for. He said, look, this idea that Israel is going to be destroyed, get, put it out of your mind. Just forget about it. It's a pipe dream. It's never going to happen. Uh, and it's going to keep you uh, at, at, at distant arm's length with us. That's number one. Number two, you know, radical Islamic terrorism, okay, it's your problem first, not ours. Okay? You, know, you stop it before it crosses the Atlantic Ocean. And if you do that, you will find in America a level of friendship you've not experienced before. So you actually set the tone you know, very early in the term. But, but we, we, were, we worked on that theme throughout. And, and as, we, uh, as we got closer to the end of, uh, of the term, we found these countries, they, they saw a window closing. How can we you know, align ourselves with America you know, in a way that starts to resemble you know, this alliance with Israel? How can we build this, you know, this, uh, this kind of circle of trust you know, around a common threat of Iran? And, and you know, it, it, it involved you know, some you know, fabulous discussions, negotiations, and ultimately results. I don't know how much you can say on this, but how close were you? I mean, there were all the rumors that there were going to be all these other reproachments, and obviously yeah. you guys literally just ran out of time, and now, unfortunately, our administration is looking at the Middle East very differently. Yeah, we, we would have uh, normalized with uh, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia would, would have normalized with Israel by now if we were still in. Um, it, it's, it's, it's a massive game changer. I mean, you're talking about now the, the leader of the Muslim right. world normalizing with Israel. It just changes. It really ends, you know, ends, just puts a period on the Arab-Israeli conflict. Uh, and it unites everyone against radicalism. You know, when I met with uh, the foreign minister of, uh, of the UAE um, about six months after the Abraham Accords, there had been a war uh, in Gaza. Uh, they're getting all their news from Al Jazeera, which is very unfavorable to Israel. I sat and I met with him, and I said to him, how are we doing? He said, no, we're passing with flying colors. And he said to me, you know why? And, and, and what he said to me was, the wars of the, um, of the 21st century, now this was before Russia and Ukraine, which may be the exception that proves the rule, but he says the wars of the 21st century are wars of ideology. They're not wars between nations anymore. Mm -hmm. And the main ideological war is extremism versus the moderates. And the moderates have to win. And to us, the Abraham Accords is all about the moderates winning the war. When you, uh, when you were, when the whole administration was 
you know, packing their bags and then there's incoming people. Did you have any communication with the incoming people saying, hey guys, and I asked Jared Kushner this as well, hey, we're on the path here. Uh, was there anything that you could have done that would have continued everything? And, and look, hopefully it'll continue maybe in two years. Yeah, well look, for, for the first six months it was, uh, anything Trump was, uh, was, you know, verboten. You know, no, we're not gonna, and then they realized, you know, the Abraham Accords are so popular among so many different people, Democrats as well, they began to embrace them. But it's not about embracing them by paying lip service to it. Mm -hmm. It's about being a friend uh, to, to, to Saudi Arabia. Now look, Saudi Arabia is an imperfect country. Um, there's no question about it. And they have that one incident, which is horrific, but you know what? You know, uh, uh, you know I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna quote Jesus because I'm, uh, I'm a Jewish, but you know, you know, whoever's without sin, you know, you know come forward, you know, and you're not, no one's coming forward. Saudi Arabia could be a very good friend of the United States. They have been in the past. We could advance that relationship. And what Biden's done really has been to um, really push them away. And they're furious with America right now, as are some of the other Gulf nations. They, they don't see uh, America standing for, um, for moderate Sunni Islam the way we promised we would and the way we should. And so, uh, you know, when you think about the Abraham Accords, you tend to think of it as you know, bilateral relations between Israel and UAE or Bahrain or Morocco. They're not. It's a triangle, right? Israel and an Arab country are at the base, and the U.S. is at the apex. And the U.S. plays the most important role. Everybody's looking to the U.S. for what they, can, what they can achieve in that relationship. We're the strongest country in the world. We're the most important country in the world, and everybody wants to be close with us. And as we push countries away... Um, we dilute the Abraham Accords. Right, and if it ain't us, it's, it's most likely China. It's and China. That's a, that's it, a very different world. Could be right. I mean, look, Saudi's moving closer to China, Russia, and Iran. And that's not a shot against Israel. It's a shot against America. That's a signal to America. Guys, you know, uh, this works both ways. You want to push us away? You know, we'll push you away as well. I want to ask you one other thing because uh, when we got here, I really didn't know what to expect. I was bringing my team. We were going to tour historical sites. We were, we were going to talk to people like you. But what I'm realizing now, just in five days in Jerusalem, is that there is an incredible uh, strength here, despite the divisions, despite the security stuff. And you know, li you live you live in the promised land, and what I would say is the other promised land of Florida. <laughs> so what is what is that connection? The, the freedom that's happening in Florida, the, the freedom and, and strength that's happening here. To me, that's what has to be exported to save America. Which you know, here in Jerusalem, it, this is what. Every one of our major cities, and they're not going to look like geographically, but the spirit of this place is incredible. And it's so different than what I'm seeing in New York and San yeah. Francisco and all of those places. What, what can Israel export to the United States that might help in our current crisis? You know what? I think, I think the most important thing is, uh, is meaning, a sense of purpose in life, that there's a reason to be on this earth. We only get, you know, 70, 80, 90 years of, on this earth. You want to make it count? Um, uh, there's a real sense of purpose here, that, that people are here for a reason. They're building something. They're building something that matters, that counts. They're bringing back to life biblical prophecies. They're, they're fulfilling you know, Judeo-Christian values. Um, we've grown untethered from that in the United States. You know, we don't have relationships, interpersonal relationships like, like we used to. People go on dates you know, by texting, by yep. WhatsApping. I mean, yep. everybody's looking at their phone all day long. I mean, there's, you know, they invented the iPhone here, so it's not like they don't do it here too. But it's there is a sense that there's something bigger than ourselves that we are that's driving us forward. And I got to tell you, when you lose that, uh, it's a quick trip to the bottom. It really is. I mean, you need to have that sense of meaning and purpose. And and, and America had that. America was, you know, it was the for many people, it was the New Jerusalem. 
that, that's that's what our founders thought about it. They 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 were Christians who viewed this as the you know as the new Jerusalem, as the new you know as the shining city on a hill, as a place of purpose that would be a light to the nations. And uh, uh, we don't teach that anymore. We don't. Uh, people don't really understand what why America was was created, uh, why it's great, um, and. Um, uh, that, that, that is, a, a, I think, a very valuable message that could come out of Jerusalem and the whole state of Israel. Now I have a request for you that just popped into my head. Sure. What do you say we do this twice a year? We do it once in Florida and once in Israel, and we keep working this thing out. What do you think? Yeah, it would be my pleasure. Thank you, Ambassador. Thank, thanks, Dave. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.